Hello again. I do want to welcome you back to Bible Studies with Russ. We're going to begin a new study uh, today looking at the book of Judges. We're going to be looking at uh, some introduction material and then also looking through Judges uh, chapter 1. The book of Judges is named from the principal characters of the book. Uh, the book was written about uh, B.C. 1185 and is commonly attributed to Samuel, Ezra, or one of the other prophets of God who lived at that time. It is a book of history showing the early trials of Israel. Some have called uh, the book of Judges the account of the dark ages of the Israelite people. The people, the people forsook God, Judges chapter 2, verse 13, and God forsook the people because of them being unfaithful to him, as we find in Judges 2, verse 23. Judges covers the period after the death of the great leader Joshua to the ascension of Saul uh, to the throne of Israel. It covers a history of about 350 years in the land of promise. The Hebrew nation, after the death of Joshua, had no strong central government. The nation consisted of 12 independent tribes united in a loose confederation. God was, God was supposed to be, the, to be the ruler speaking through the judges. The people, however, did not pay too much attention uh, to God and were more or less in a state of anarchy so far as civil government was concerned. The exact duration of the period of judges is uncertain. While the rule adds up to 300 years, the period of unrest and anarchy in between would make the rule of the judges much longer. The judges ruled about uh, B.C. 1400 to 1100, which includes a period's which includes a period of the wilderness of Eli, Samuel, Saul, and David, and is called in and is called in First Kings six verse one, uh, four hundred and eighty years. Now, uh, we have several he <coughs> several headings for the book of Judges. The first being Judges, uh, excuse me, first being Israel's failure from Judges chapter one through Judges chapter three. And so we'll begin today by looking at Judges chapter one. Uh, keeping in mind that this is taking place in the land of Canaan, and the characters that are involved in this book are the children of Israel and the people dwelling in the land. So Judges chapter 1 begins with looking at the invasion of Canaan. As you can see here from our video that I'm uh, providing, uh, trying to do a few different things here. But in Judges chapter 1, looking at verse 1, the Bible says, And after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? So their great leader, Joshua, was dead. Israel uh, wanted God to select a new leader. We think about, you know, you think about how Israel had lost so many uh, good men, no doubt Moses and then now uh, Joshua, men who were giants, and no doubt not perfect men, but no doubt they were incredible leaders for God, doing that which is right and striving to lead the people in a way that would be pleasing to God. Well, now we find that Joshua, here in chapter 1, verse 1, has is dead. And so they asked the Lord, who shall be the first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Let's look now at verse 2. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have, I have delivered the land into his hand. So God selected the new leader. Apparently, the Canaanites had not been clear, uh, had not been cleared from the territory. The land was parceled out before it was actually captured. Verse 3 says, 
So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went, Simeon went with him. So Judah and Simeon were blood brothers, as we find in Genesis chapter 29, verses 32 through 35, or 32 uh, through 35 there. Uh, the allotment, or maybe it's 22 through 25, I have a typo here. The allotment of Simeon is said to have been with, within that of Judah, Joshua chapter 19, 1 through 9. Verses 4 and 5 of Judges chapter 1 says, Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Now the Canaanites and Perizzites were defeated, and their king put to, put to flight. He was caught, and, and as we're going to find here, he was, some say, mutilated by his captors. As we look at verse 6, then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Now, when you first read that, at least when I did, uh, it wasn't this wasn't the first time I read that, but, but the very first time I've ever read that, I thought, what a weird thing to do, you know. But uh, this was done uh, in part to humiliate, to humiliate the king, and second, uh, some believe to render him unfit for leadership. He would not be able to draw his bow because his thumb being cut off and, and, and handle his sword. He would not be able to pursue the Israelites. You think about the big, you know, the, the big toe, uh, the cut off his, his thumbs and his big toes. Well, how much, can you imagine trying to do anything if you tuck your, your thumbs in, what can you do trying weapon-wise? You're going to have to relearn a lot of stuff. It's going to be very, very difficult. Your, your big toes being cut off, that's going to affect your balance. Uh, he's going to have a lot of problems doing just really some, some we might consider some basic fundamental things and fit for battle. Well, no, not really. Um, he's going to have a very difficult time handling things. Uh, so he's going to be a, a liability in many ways. Uh, verse 7 says, and, and Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, used to gather scraps under my table, as I have done. So God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. That's chapter uh, 1, verse 7. Uh, so this means that the people were reduced uh, to the meanest kind of servitude. This is what King Bezek had done. And now the King Bezek received the same treatment he had given to others. It is an immutable law of God that men reap what they sow. Let's look now at verse 8. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it, and they struck at the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Now, uh, a reference here to the original, is made to the original capture of the city by Joshua here in verse 8. Uh, the, struck of the, the Bible says the children of Israel fought against Jerusalem, and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Uh, we find next in verse 9 that the Canaanites, uh, we find here, after the children of uh, Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites, who dwelt in, in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. So probably the central highlands of Palestine, south of Jerusalem, extending to Hebron. We find Hebron mentioned here in verse 10. And Judah went against the Canaanites and dwell, who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Korjoth Arba, and they killed 
Shishaya, Haman, and Talmai. Now, I'm horrible pronouncing these names in, in the Old Testament. You'll, you'll find that pretty clear as we go through this here. Uh, but this is 18 miles, Hebron is 18 miles south of Jerusalem. Now, in verses 12 through 19, you have here where Caleb offered his daughter to Achish, and we have several other things that's going to take place here. So let's read here verses 12 through 19. But before we do that, uh, especially before we get to verse 19, I want us to look at here for just a moment a, uh, a uh, diagram that helps us remember the pattern that we find in the book of Judges. Um, as you can see here now, uh, this is being brought up, uh, this constant cycle in the book of Judges. You, you start really there um, uh, on the left, the period of obedience. And we have some verses here for our reference, but period of obedience and blessing. Moving to the right, apostasy, sin, and disobedience. Moving further to the right, you find the punishment, oppression, and then bondage. We continue moving to the right, we find repentance, moral renewal, and a call for help. And then towards back towards the bottom center, we find deliverance, raising up a judge. And so this is the constant cycle that we find in the book of Judges. Just this over and over and over again. I've heard, I've heard it described different ways. Uh, this is one of them. Another one that's very common, which really is kind of extended to many periods in the Old Testament. And that is kind of like a, a roller coaster. They have periods of faithfulness. They're going up high. Then they have periods of unfaithfulness, disobedience, rebellion, and thus you have the the, the uh, roller coaster going down. And so you had that over and over again. So just up, down, up, down. Here we find this uh, diagram showing the cycle. It's over and over again. And we think about it really. This is not uncommon still today that mankind still uh, has these periods in our own lives where we are faithful to God, then we sin against God. And we have to do what? Well, we have to repent. We have to make it right. And so, uh, we want we want this cycle though to be be something that is uh, it becomes less and less. Uh, we don't want this to be something that's just a constant thing in our lives. Now, uh, getting back here to uh, to the book in Judges chapter one. Uh, Judges chapter one, looking at verses twelve through nineteen. Says, and Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kirjas Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Achish as a wife, as wife. And Elthanel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, so he gave him his daughter Achish as a as wife. Uh, now it happened when she came to him that she that she urged him to ask her father for a field, and she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She said, to the, she said to him, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now the children of Kenite, verse 16, Moses' father-in-law, uh, went up from the city of, of, of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad, and they went and dwelt in, among the people. Verse 17, and Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites and who inhabited Zephath, and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Verse 18, and, Judah, and also, also Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. Verse 19, so the Lord was with Judah, 
And they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. Now, this is a verse that is of some quote-unquote controversy. Uh, I think, though, if we think about it for a moment, uh, we have to realize, first of all, <laughs> we have to be logical. Do chariots of iron do mean anything to God? No, they do not. We're talking about the God of heaven and earth who created all things. So chariots of iron, it cannot possibly mean, because it's, it's not logical, it's not consistent to believe that chariots of iron could stop God. And so we have to think, okay, then what is it? What is meant here by they, they were unable to drive out the inhabitants of the lowland? Keep in mind, it doesn't say God was unable. It says, verse 19, it says, and they, that is who? Judah. Well, God was with Judah. But we find here that mankind, just because God is with mankind, doesn't mean that mankind doesn't get spooked, right? You think about when the spies were told to go to spy out the land, right? And they came back and you had the good report and you had the bad report. Well, why were some giving a bad report? Because they were afraid. They saw the giants, they saw the people, and they were afraid. Was God with the people at that time? Yes. But that did that mean automatically they, that they had no fear? No. And I think the most logical answer here in verse 19 is that these people saw their chariots of iron and were afraid. And because of their fear and lack of trust in God, they weren't able to drive them out. You think about any time people don't, as we look in the Old Testament, anytime they don't put their trust in God and, and follow him, they, they're never victorious. And so the the answer must be uh, must be found in the idea that these individuals must have had fear. And, and when they saw these chariots of iron, therefore they could not drive them out. Um, and I've looked at other, I looked at some commentaries and some completely, completely don't even talk about verse 19 at all. They lump it in with some other verses that don't even mention this, this, this idea. And the reason I'm wanting to make sure we bring this out, because I have seen in debates where atheists will use this and say, see, the Bible is inconsistent. God can't drive them out because of the chariots of iron. I don't believe for a moment that the, they could not drive them out as a reference to, is a reference that includes God. It seems only logical and consistent that, that, that they there can only mean Judah. Yes, the Lord was with Judah, but Judah still was afraid. As we've already said before, you know, those who went spout the land, you had a, a those who, who trusted God and gave a good report, and you had those who were afraid and gave a bad report. And what do we find? We find those, <laughs> well, they've sent to wonder because, for 40 years because of their uh, lack of trust in God. And their disobedience to go in to take the land. What we find here, what happens? They could not drive out the inhabitants. They could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. I think you could say, at least in my opinion, you could add the word here because they they feared the chariots of iron, so they could not drive them out. Now the text doesn't say that, but it seems to be that's the most logical answer here. So look at verse nineteen again. It is illogical and inconsistent with the Bible to believe that God could not overcome chariots of iron. Keeping in mind, as one commentator points out, God has what? He has thousands of angels. He has hundreds of thousands of angels. We don't know exactly how many, uh, obviously, but uh, we know that he has, uh, it's pointed out there in Psalm 68, verse 17, as reference there, whose chariots are thousands of angels. Uh, and so it cannot be that God is physically unable to overcome these chariots of iron. It has the problem has to be with man. The problem has to be with Judah, verse nineteen. Why can they not drive them out? Again, the most fitting answer seems to be because of fear. 
They feared the chariots, just like they feared the giants when they went and spied out the land, as we mentioned previously. So we do want to make sure that is that is discussed because some, as I said before, will try to use that as a as a uh, talking point for for non-believers. Try to use this as a way to try to attack God and the Bible as being inconsistent. But it makes perfect sense when you think about well, what's the logical answer? It can't be that God was unable to. It has to be Judah in their fear. Let's look now at verses, uh, verse twenty. And this continues under that uh, uh, verse twenty through verse uh, twenty-six here. And he gave, and and they gave Hebron to Caleb as as Moses had said. Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. They did not drive them out. That's not spoken of in a positive way. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel. The Lord was with them. So that so the house of Joseph sent sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. Uh, we're going to read through here to verse 26. So he showed them the entrance of the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of Hittites, built a city, and called its name Luz, which, it is, which, which is its name to this day. So these cities were captured only with the help of the help of the Lord. The location of the city of Luz is, he says, we have here is that it really is unknown still today. And so the Lord's with them. But we find what's the difference here between what we find here in back in verse 19. There's no chariots of iron. The men were not afraid. The Lord is with them. Yes, but they weren't afraid. And it's sad to think about how they conquered all these other things, accomplished all these other tasks, but they feared the chariots of iron and they couldn't drive them out. Um, I mean, how many times do we see people, the armies of God outnumbered, and yet because God is with them and because people were willing and obedient and were not afraid, they went in and smoked a lot of people, right? But they see chariots of iron, verse 19, and they get afraid. Let's look now at verse 27 through uh, the end of the chapter here, through verse 35. I believe we can put it all. Um, oh, not quite through the end of the chapter. 27 through 35. Uh, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of uh, Bethshean and its in its villages, or uh, Tanik in its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor in its villages, or the inhabitants of Eblim in its villages, or the inhabitants of um, Medigo uh, and its villages. For the Canaanites uh, were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in uh, Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of, you know, there's a common pattern here, common problem. They did not drive them out. They did not drive them out. They did not drive them out. Big problems. Uh, they did not drive the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of, of Nahalol. So the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of, of Echo or the inhabitants of Sidon or of or of uh, Halab, Eshkibib, uh, Helba, Apik or Rehob. Again, I am horrible with these Old Testament names. Uh, so the Israelites, excuse me, so the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the lands, for, the, for they did not drive them out. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth, Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but they dwelt among the Canaanites and inhabit the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. 
And the Amorites forced the children of Dan to the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in, in Mount Heris in Ajalon and in uh, Shabim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. So Ephraim and Manasseh were hemmed in on both north and south by strong Hanite fortress, fortresses uh, stretching in an almost straight line from the Jordan uh, Valley to the Mediterranean coast. The list of fortresses given here is the same as described in Joshua 17, 11 through 13. Um, we found here verse 36, and the boundary of Amorites was from the ascent uh, of Akarib, from Sela and upward. <clears throat> so the Amorites would dwell, will dwell in Mount Hermes, verse 35, since the Danites apparently, excuse me, since the Danites appeared unable to expel them completely, they gave them a dwelling place in the mountains. So that brings us to the end of chapter one. And so we find a lot of expelling, right? We have a lot of... Uh, as we mentioned already, this is the invasion of Canaan, right? Well, uh, we find a lot of dwelling among people, dwelling among people, and not casting people out, not driving them out. Uh, you know, when when you don't fully expel those who are immersed in and doing things which are not good, doing things which are evil, and you don't drive them out, as we find in the in the book of Judges, they were to, they, you know, these things, a lot of these should have been driven out already. So you go back to Joshua. Um, but what happens when you dwell among people who are wicked, who are idolatrous? Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Okay, we're going to stop there today. I do thank you for your, for your time, for being here with me. I hope you have enjoyed this study. I hope you enjoyed this format. For those who are on Facebook and those who are on in our Bible Studies of Russ Facebook page. Uh, feel free to leave me comments uh, there, not only about the Bible study, but also if you like this format of the verses and things being up there as well. So I do thank you for being here with me today and hope to see you again next time.